Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan. And it is officially bracket season, not parentheses season. That's something different entirely. Sorry, just a little editorial humor, or at least an attempt at editorial humor. Uh, John, this podcast will post right around noon on Thursday as the games are tipping off. We should be synced up perfectly to the moment at which productivity in our company drops off by about 90%. Uh, Now, uh, I'm going to take a stab at how many games out of 63 you're going to watch at least part of live over the next three weeks. I'll set the line at 29 and a half, over or under, John? It's interesting. I, I must say that I caught the last 90 seconds of regulation of Rutgers Notre Dame on Wednesday night and then watched the two overtimes. And it was pretty good. It was pretty exciting. So uh, that might help your cause here. Okay. Uh, if you like the over, um, I'm going to be arriving in Atlantic City right after this uh podcast posts so i'll see parts of more than say a half dozen games right out of the gate to mm-hmm. go to the, as i go casino sportbook hopping for sure um i'll get to another half dozen in some form on friday i think so let's say i'm at 15 in the first real round eight games saturday eight more sunday i'm not devoting too much of my weekend off to this stuff i don't think <laughs> add parts of maybe six more all told sweet 16 is four games uh, next thursday and four more on friday Depends a lot on the matchups now, right? Really, mm. maybe all or part of three games total gets me to 24. Enter the Elite Eight's four games, second weekend. I was getting close here. A matchup issue again, so maybe three of those for 27. Both final four games get me to 29. So I need the title <laughs> game to go over the line. If my preferred teams in both semis lose, I'll probably still, though, peek in on the final you know, even for a minute or two right. to go over. But uh, Eric, if you assign me to the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands racetrack at any point, that would lock you in any hefty overweight <laughs> you made. <laughs> but that's, that's one true. scary good line. And this show, I was sure I'd be under, but maybe not. Oh, all right. I didn't realize just how good I was at setting yeah. that line. Okay. Yeah. And and I'll, I guess I'll take the over because as we've said many times, it's always more fun to root for the over. Yeah, right. um, now, unless I'm forgetting something that I watched, I believe I've tuned into one game so far this entire season. Uh, very, very early in the season, my alma mater okay. Brown faced North yeah. Carolina and I put a few mm. bucks on Brown with the points, uh, not money line. Uh, and they mm. did cover. Um, but uh, yeah. despite how well they played that night to keep it close, Apparently, they were not a good team, as they didn't even make the Ivy League tournament. Uh, But, you know, starting today, I'm a college basketball fan, and uh, I will remain so for as long as I'm remotely in the hunt in the one bracket pool I've entered. So the the number of games that I will watch, at least part of live, could vary wildly from a low of about eight, if today doesn't go well, uh, up to about uh, 30 or 35, if I'm doing well after the first round. Yeah, I did not enter a bracket pool this year. No, uh, not a single one. Well, there's still time before you hit the road for AC. Yeah, I guess I probably won't. (laughs) And I haven't put any any money down either. But uh, but still, I enjoy it. Like I said, the Notre Dame-Rutgers game kind of 
warm me up a little bit like this. Like, I didn't really care. You right. know, my nephew uh, went to Rutgers Medical School. And uh, on the other hand, Notre Dame winning means uh, a nice uh, bit of revenue for the state uh, on, on a Friday because we can't bet on Rutgers games. We can't bet on Notre Dame games. And we will. So uh, I was sort of torn on those two fronts. So, uh, but it was, it was a good game, interesting, and a lot of drama. So uh, um, maybe that uh, warms me up. And you get a chance to root against Notre Dame, which I know is one yes. of your favorite pastimes. Uh, yeah, I do enjoy that. Yes. All right. Whoever you're rooting for or against, uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 185 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 184 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Surely you're parked in front of the TV right now listening to this podcast while you're watching four basketball games at once. So please add to your multitasking menu and take a second to give us a five-star rating. There's still time to get that shot off before the buzzer. Uh, nicely said. And uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by NBCSportsEdge.com's college hoops expert, Thomas Casali, to talk brackets, bets, Gonzaga, Coach K, and more. But first, it's been a mad busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our news segment is very heavy this week on the intersection between sports stories and sports betting industry stories. And we start with a follow-up to our lead story last week about Calvin Ridley's suspension for betting on NFL games. The day after we recorded the podcast, our colleague Brett Smiley published an article with details nobody else had, possibly changing the perception of Ridley and his sports betting. Brett got his hands on some documents showing that the reports of Ridley placing three parlay bets involving the Falcons weren't quite accurate and that Ridley was underselling it with his tweet that he only bet $1,500. In fact, he bet $3,900 across six bets that involved the Falcons, five parlays and one in-game non-parlay wager. One of the parlays had 11 legs, and if it won, would have turned $300 into $144,000. In total, across all sports, in five days, Ridley placed about $37,000 worth of bets and came out a little over $1,100 behind. So now we know that on top of betting on NFL games, when it was clearly against NFL player rules, Ridley also was dishonest on Twitter about how much he bet, and someone else was giving reporters incomplete information about how many bets he placed. Does this change anything, John? And do Ridley's claims that, quote, I don't have a gambling problem land any differently now? Yeah, I mean, has anyone ever said I don't have a gambling problem or drinking problem or a drug problem or a wordle puzzle problem ever (laughs) not had that problem? Right. Uh, That's a problem right there. Uh, Mm -hmm. And minimizing the amount he bet is another problem for sure. Uh, But the second straight podcast, I will not go so low as to say anyone who would bet money on games involving the Falcons or make any parlay bets on top of it there. I, I didn't say it again, <laughs> right. but uh, this, this does seem like a problem. Yeah. Um, so full disclosure, I knew about this information last week, but I couldn't say anything because mm. Brett was still dotting eyes and crossing T's on being mm. able to run with it. So when I said last week that whether or not he has a gambling problem, Ridley clearly has some sort of unhealthy mental issue happening. Mm-hmm. I should admit now I knew about his dishonesty and, and was mm-hmm. factoring that in a little bit. I still can't say if he has a gambling problem for sure, yeah. 
presumably as an NFL player for several years, he has enough money to where he can afford to spend $37,000 on gambling. And if you're only gambling money, you can afford to lose, even if it seems like a large amount to us, that might just be recreational spending and not a sign of a gambling problem. So just repeating what I said last week, you know, he left midseason due to mental health struggles. Then he broke the league's rules about betting on games. This is a man who needs to spend his suspension year doing what it takes to get himself together mentally, regardless of whether he does or doesn't have specifically a gambling problem. Um, Brett's reporting does raise the question of where the three parlay bets info came from and whether the NFL played any role in downplaying the extent of Ridley's wagering. I mean, I don't think it really changes the narrative if the initial report was three parlay bets and now it turns out to five parlay bets plus a non-parlay bet. It's just curious that a false or at least slightly incomplete leak got out there. Yeah, I just think he doth protest too much. I mean, I, I don't I don't get who said he had a gambling problem and why. Right. And and more importantly, why is he claiming he bets so little money when he didn't? And interestingly, he didn't lose much money. So right. he could have just said, hey, I, I bet a little money and uh, I lost, you know, what is it? Ten percent or not even five. I mean, whatever, you know, I mean. I don't I don't know where that came from. It's just very defensive and uh, makes me wonder. But uh, yeah, like you said, overall, he's got issues for sure. And just hope for the best for him. I mean, there's no point in uh, piling on now. He's got some things to deal with and uh, hopefully uh, he gets through them. Yep. Well said. All right. Our second story is also about the NFL. Uh, In case anyone didn't hear the news. Tom Brady is coming back. Uh, His retirement lasted 40 days. That's how long it took for him to decide he doesn't want to spend more time with his family. After all, he'll be playing again this fall as a 45-year-old. And where it gets interesting with gambling is that some big bets were placed on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before the news came out. Someone placed a sizable bet on the Bucs last Thursday at 50 to 1 to win the Super Bowl at South Point in Las Vegas, and the better put down more money later after the odds fell to 25 to 1. Uh, Westgate Las Vegas also got hit when their line was high, possibly by the same better. Westgate's Jay Cornegay told Sports Handle, quote, The bets we took Thursday, March 10th, there's no doubt in my mind he knew Brady was coming back. Did he have inside info? That's the definition of inside info, and there should be an investigation by the NFL. Either Brady or someone close to him spilled the beans. The NFL is always touting integrity, and this is something they have to look into. They need to look at how this got out, end quote. It's possible the better knew something. It's also possible he went big on a hunch. Uh, Certainly, a lot of people have speculated since the retirement announcement that Brady was coming back, although many thought he'd come back and go to a different team. And maybe he still will. Maybe this is set up for a trade and the Bucks bets will backfire. But the inside information angle is fascinating. John, does Cornegay have a right to be upset or is it all fair game? If you hang the line and take the bet, anything goes. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated, but in the end, it is up to the books. I mean, the betters went to the books that would take some huge bets at the casino window from a perfect stranger. Right? Reminds me of the Phil Ivey $10 million edge sorting mini Baccarat card saga with Borgata a decade ago in Atlantic City. You know, he takes you for $2 million the first time because he had a big advantage that the casino didn't figure out. All right, that's one thing. When he does the same thing two months later, and then for a third trip, he has to double his maximum bet from 50000 per hand to 100000 per hand on a, on a game that went played fairly 
necessarily is pure luck. I mean, come on, man. You know, by the way, Borgata had him back for a fourth time, too, before the jig was up. So, yeah. you know, here at least the sportsmen got smarter and lowered the odds after initial big bets on the Bucks. They didn't just say, oh, well, you know, we have the line. Take whatever you want. So I give him credit for that. But, you know, if the guy still puts more money down, should that tell you something? I, yeah. You know, I, I like Jay. I had a fun conversation with him earlier this month, and he's not totally wrong. Uh, you know, Brady has more money than God and almost as much money as his wife, Giselle. But suppose he had a close friend or a teammate with a gambling problem or other problem that Brady doesn't know about. And Brady you know, let this slip and then the pal exploits it. Now, at least with mobile sports betting, you know, the better is maybe you have lower limits at the casinos or tell them, you know, hey, you can make that bet once you deposit the money into your mobile account and just make it at the table over there. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I would assume that they might have asked the guy for ID of some sort to check him out as they run that bet up the flagpole. It depends also how big it is. They say it was a big bet. What does that mean? At 50 to one odds, maybe he just bet like two grand or something. And that counts as a big bet because it could be a big payout. So and maybe and with a typical, I guess, two thousand dollar bet, maybe they aren't, uh, you know, checking your player card and all that sort of stuff. I agree with you in terms of liking Jay. I've always uh, liked Jay to the extent that I know him. This isn't a good look for him. I, I think the internet mm. has been pretty one-sided in giving him grief for his comments. Mm. I mean, the house has the edge all the time and one guy gets in a few good bets and they cry foul. Now, if Brady directly told a friend, I'm announcing in three days that I'm coming back, go play some bets on the bucks. That is an integrity issue for the NFL. Um, but if Brady told a friend he was planning to come back and that guy mentioned it casually to someone else and someone overhears it and decides to start betting on it, then Brady didn't actually do anything wrong. And, you know, it's just the better getting good info and acting on it. There's some gray area here, but bottom line to me, the sportsbook director shouldn't be whining about it on the rare occasion that a better has a little more info than you do. You know, you suck it up, you move the line and you take the L. Uh, and, and by the way, you probably aren't taking an L at all. I mean, the Bucks are still, what, maybe 8% likely to win the next Super Bowl or something like that. Yeah. And mm. on top of that, what if the speculation that some people are throwing out there is correct, that he's coming back so that Tampa can trade him to the 49ers? I've heard that one. If that happens, does Jay refund the Bucks bets because the guy's information was bad? Of course <laughs> not. So yeah. you can't yeah. complain about the bets now while they're looking good for the better, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I, uh, overall, that I agree with that. I mean, it's uh, it is what it is, and the books will be fine. And uh, uh, I hadn't really thought about that. It, it did seem like you know, like the the bet isn't whether Tom Brady will return to play, right? right. It's whether they win the Super Bowl. Right. And it, we pretty clear he's going to play. It's not at all clear they're going to win the Super Bowl or even be that great. And frankly, with him sort of mentally taking his foot off the throttle for the first time in you know twenty five years, uh, yeah, he's coming back now, but he is 45 or he's going to be 45, I think. Right. So maybe he doesn't have that much. So I hadn't really thought that through. So that that's all the more reason really not to complain about it because you went from uh, you know, extreme long shot to not that long of a shot. And uh, so, yeah, this, this probably would have been better just to say, let, let it go. Maybe, maybe mention the integrity issue. I think it's okay to do that right. to your point, but yeah, maybe not seem so upset about it because it's probably going to turn out just fine. Right. Yes. I think the current odds on the Bucks to win the Super Bowl have come all the way down to somewhere in the like the plus 850 range. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure as heck not betting that for all the reasons you stated. There are a mm-hmm. lot of ways this season can still go sideways for the Bucks, I think. For sure. 
All right, for our third story, we'll switch to baseball. Uh, yes, there will be baseball this year. The labor dispute is over, and each team will play the full 162-game schedule, although with several doubleheaders and a slightly delayed finish. And our colleague Mark Saxon got a look at the new collective bargaining agreement and found three areas connected to sports betting. First, quote, all clubs will be required to institute enhanced ballpark safety measures and a hotline will be developed for the purpose of reporting threats made against players or their families relating to sports betting. In short, players are getting protection against the parlay patses of the world. Uh, second, the league and the teams can't sell a player's biometric data, which like any other form of data, could be used to give someone a sports betting edge. And third, active players can sign endorsement deals with gambling companies, something that until now, only retired players could do. John, what's got your attention here? Anything you're surprised to see addressed in this CBA? Well, I was at the NHL's Embrace of Gambling press conference at the Meadowlands in 2018 that seemed like it happened about, I don't know, 45 seconds after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled against the NHL and other uh, leagues to open Pandora's box betting on sports beyond just Nevada. And Commissioner Gary Bettman is a Jersey guy because, of course, he is. He soon was talking about pairing high-tech innovations like tracking devices on pucks and on players with gambling. So fans could bet on who would have the fastest shot in a given game or whatever. And I thought that was kind of cool. Almost creepy, but kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the same as biometrics, like heart rate and blood pressure. And we're betting on whose blood pressure goes up the most. I mean, as far as I know, not even gambling-focused countries like Australia, the UK, and Ireland will do that. And anything they do, it's hard for me to imagine the U.S. doing. And then uh, finally, the endorsement deals could be interesting. How edgy will the NHL let these deals become, I wonder? Yeah, I, I'm curious to see exactly where that goes. But the, the endorsement deals, that is the most significant of the three to me. I'm not surprised necessarily. I mean, Connor McDavid of the Oilers in the NHL recently announced a deal with BetMGM. This was clearly coming to other sports, but it's just such a profound symbol of how quickly things have changed. You know, we're not mm -hmm. quite four years post PASPA yet, and an active player is going to be allowed to do a commercial telling you to live your bet life or join the king of sports books or whatever. Good for the players union for getting that concession. It could be worth a lot of money for some of the players. Um, but then it follows that the more an individual can be linked to a sports book, the more they need to be concerned about losing betters, holding them responsible. Um, I don't know what these enhanced safety measures will look like. And I would have hoped there was a place for them to report threats before this hotline uh, that still threats would all get reported. I would hope, yeah. but yeah. certainly the league, you know, all leagues really need to have the players backs with this and be on high alert that there will be emotional gamblers and problem gamblers who take it too far. Uh, and as far as the biometric data, you, you did the, uh, the Phil Ivy reference earlier. So I'll uh, relate this to a, a poker thing. Uh, your Phil Ivy reference was uh, Baccarat, not poker, but uh, he is of course best known yeah. as a poker player. Right. And uh, I just remember uh, what was it, maybe 15 years or so ago, they started doing a couple of televised poker events where they would hook the players up to heart monitors so that the viewing audience could see if their heart rate was changing in high pressure situations, uh -huh. if they were bluffing, <laughs> et cetera. And at the time, I don't think, I don't remember hearing about any pushback to sharing uh, that, that data. It was obviously very relevant to what was going on. And I don't think opponents had access to it. Um, but it, it is sort of interesting to raise that uh, medical ethics privacy question now. And uh, it does make sense that uh, that uh, MLB has uh, agreed not to not to let that stuff out. 
I'm sort of wondering, you know, we're so deep in the rabbit hole of uh, gambling expansion uh, regulation in the U.S. that if we're recognizing that, you know, a lot of fans don't like sports betting. They don't like the commercials. They don't want to hear about it. They love the game. They're never going to gamble. Mm-hmm. It's a turnoff. And if you have a McDavid or somebody else, you know, and you have a young young son or daughter who's a big fan or whatever, and you may feel repelled by that a little bit. Like, are, are we thinking more about the co- potential consequences of this sort of thing than the NHL is? I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but maybe we are. Yeah, could be. Um, but, you know, in all of this, we, we've buried the real lead here, John. Uh, baseball is back. The Phillies signed Kyle Schwarber. They're mm. 40 to one to win the World Series. That's a great price. I think they should be like uh, even money to win it all right now. And th- that's not emotion speaking. That's just pure numbers and analytics, right? Uh, I don't think the Mets are done yet. So, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, brace yourself for the next big spend. OK, fine. I think one thing we can agree on. The NL East is looking a lot different uh, this year than it did last year. And that includes includes the Atlanta Braves. Uh, yes, I I boy, that's Freddie Freeman thing. I um, yeah. I understand they saved a ton of money. They probably got a better contract than Freeman got, you know, than the Dodgers have paying Freeman. But, uh, you know, what's it worth to have a, a, a lifelong player with you? And then you win a World Series and then he goes away. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't like that vibe at all. <laughs> uh, the, the, the sports purist in John comes out uh, mm. when uh, a guy like Freddie Freeman heads to another team. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, though. I, I love the idea of someone staying with one team their whole career, but it just doesn't happen uh, too often anymore. But it occurs to me that uh, off air, we got to come up with some kind of three-way wager between uh, me, you, and Adam Small as mm. to who's going to emerge from the NL East this year. That's fair. Makes sense. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. March Madness is upon us, and you, the Gamble On listener, have two options. You can get the inside scoop from me, a guy who in 1991 nailed all four Final Four teams and won his bracket pool and hasn't come close to winning another pool since and doesn't watch college basketball at all until March. Or you can get the scoop from an expert who follows this stuff day in and day out and gets paid to cover it for NBCSportsEdge.com, like, say, our guest, Thomas Casale. Thomas was on the podcast once before when the last quote-unquote normal March Madness was about to tip off in 2019, and we're thrilled to pick his brain once again. Thomas, welcome back to Gamble On. Thanks for having me. Uh, So let me start with a big-picture bracket question. Uh, When you're filling out your brackets – to what extent are you making picks based on the matchup? And to what extent are you making picks based on game theory? I mean, you know, all the teams inside and out, you have your ideas about which team is better in every matchup. Would you ever consider filling out a bracket where every pick is just the team you think is more likely to win? Or is there always some game theory to consider? Yeah. So what I do is this, like there's a couple teams I like that I think could upset uh, higher seeds, like say Colgate, Chattanooga and UAB. Okay. But even if they don't win, I don't like the team they're playing to go very far. Mm-hmm. So I pick the upset knowing I wasn't going to pick Wisconsin or Illinois to go far anyway. So in my bracket, it's not really going to matter. Uh, but then if I do get the upset, I'm going to be ahead of some other people who didn't pick it. So that's kind of the way I look to pick upsets. And then the other thing I try not to do is 
think of anything that I saw over the past week, because that's, you know, we've heard now Kentucky isn't that good. You know, everyone's picking against Arkansas. Uh, wasn't that long ago that everybody told me Kentucky's going to win it all. And everyone was uh, picking Arkansas to win the SEC tournament. Right. So it's uh, I try to think that sort of similar to the committee where they take the whole resume. I'm trying to think how well are these teams all season and how well do they match up with teams in the tournament? Okay. And, and then how much does the, the field size of the particular pool that you're filling out a bracket for matter in terms of like, if you're in a, a pool with 10 buddies, are you going to pick very few upsets? But if you know, there are a thousand people in it, you're going to go kind of hog wild, picking some, making some wacky picks. You sure. And I think it depends if you know, like if, if you're in a, if you're in a pool with a bunch of betters, right. You know, they're all going to be picking upsets and this and that like me. Right. But if you're just with normal people, they're probably going to have mostly chalk. So you're trying to find some edges, you know, wherever you can. So if you go in thinking, you know, geez, I really think Gonzaga is overrated. And I think they'll have a chance to lose to one of these teams. You know, everyone's picking Gonzaga to go to the final four. I mean, no, no regular fans going to have them. And then another one too, is I know, Hey, on Twitter, nobody likes Duke. Right. But I just filled out brackets with my sons. They didn't have Duke losing in the first or second round. It's so you're, you're, normal fans going to fall for the narratives of the coach K final season. They don't know that this team hasn't played defense in a month. So sometimes you have an advantage there too. Gotcha. All right. Hey, you know, Thomas, I follow your Twitter feed and I would swear, I almost believe that you follow all 32 division one conferences, <laughs> but I think that's impossible. I'm pretty sure a Patriot league is uh, up your alley and that's not a power five conference for sure. So I'm just curious. I, you can't go all 32 deep. How many conferences do you really think, you know, well over the course of a season? Well, that's a good point. And you mentioned the Patriot league. So usually during the season in my preseason research, I kind of have an idea which conferences I like more than others. Right. So last year, I probably 70% of my picks were Patriot league picks this year. You could count them on one hand. I, the, the, the conference was different this year. I didn't have as many edges. I, I actually bet a lot more big sky this year than I did last year. So I, you know, I do think it varies from year to year and it's not just knowing which conferences you're going to be good in. It's knowing which ones you might not be. I remember early in the season, I bet a couple of big West games and they legitimately lost by over 30 points. And I thought to myself, maybe this isn't the conference for me. You know, <laughs> that's the good thing about college basketball. There's so many conferences. If you find early where you're having success and stick to it, that, that's a big part of my betting strategy. But you're right. I, I, it's impossible to know every conference up and down. Well, without getting into your W-2 exactly, although we're getting to our tax season, uh, does knowing so much about college basketball, watching so many countless hours of it, uh, does it actually pay off as a profit? I hope so. It does, but not now. The, the college basketball to me is the most fascinating sport in the world because it goes from zero to a hundred faster than any sport. And when it goes to a hundred, that's when the books want you to bet. I make all my money in December and January and into February. It's hard now. Like uh, th these lines are locked in. They're tight. They know that they know that people are going to pick the underdogs. Uh, so you're not getting a lot of value here and there. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, they say the, the books always win. <laughs> if you want to beat the books, you got to get on a team early like UNC Wilmington, where they didn't adjust for a couple months. By now, they got the lines locked in. All right. Well, well, speaking of getting on teams early, uh, I have to ask about your pin tweet um, in October. You were all over Auburn at 70 to one to win the national title, saying in two months, these odds will be long gone. 
It's actually been about five months now, and the best odds you can find are 16 to 1 on Auburn. How are you feeling about your Auburn ticket? Are they still a decent bet at 16 to 1? And at what point would you start to hedge that bet, if at all? Yeah, well, a couple of times, uh, the way they were playing over the last month, that tweet almost got unpinned, uh, to tell you that much. <laughs> um, 16 to 1, I, I probably wouldn't take a shot on them now. You know, I just have them at such a big number. The, the key for me for Auburn is going to be the game above them that gets played. They match up really well with Miami. USC can give them trouble with their size and their zone defense. If Miami wins that game, I think Auburn can make a deep run in this tournament because they have some nice matchups there. USC, I think, could be a possible second-round upset. So 16-1 to 1 seems like a fair price to me for Auburn. Still really talented. Their guards don't play well all the time. That's an issue in the tournament. And, yeah, so last year I had Arkansas 80-1, to 1, and they got to the Elite Eight and faced Baylor. The I was one game away there from hedging. Uh, I was hoping they could. They got a tough draw in Baylor's region. I think they might have gotten to the Final Four in another region. So right around there is when I'll start to look to, to cash in some money. Okay, yeah, that's. I was kind of curious because it, it's 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 tricky because you don't want to hedge too many rounds and end up to the point right. where you have to keep hedging and, and end up breaking even at best. But so, yeah, so it's around, if they get to the final four, I guess that's where you can start to say, all right, I'm just going to take the the opponent's money line and, uh, and know that I'm making and, some something here. And it'll be easier with Auburn because remember Arkansas was like a seven or eight point dog in that game. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to take a money line on a big favorite like Baylor, where Auburn will either be close to even or or a favorite. So it would be easier to cash out with them than it was Arkansas. Yeah. Well, Thomas, I, I was a believer in Auburn, but it was after their second loss. And uh, I got them for our podcast uh, bankroll at eight to one. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> so I'm not going to hey, focus. They're still, they're still talented. I mean, All they, right, I'm not going to some... focus on that, though. But I, I do want to ask you, uh, uh, you, you mentioned these in passing. I think that the biggest storyline definitely is Coach K. Does he win it all? That's a storyline. And then Gonzaga, always, always, always. They're kind of post-hyped this year. They got hyped and hyped and hyped. And last year, an absolute lock. There's no way they could lose. And now this year, they're even as a number one overall seed, not getting quite as much attention. But out of those two, which storyline is most likely to finally come through that Gonzaga wins it all or Duke does? I don't think Duke's going to, not the way they're playing defense right now. Uh, I think Gonzaga's a little bit overrated. I think they were better last year. See, the thing about last year was too many people focused on unbeaten. I had Baylor ranked as the best team in college basketball all year long. That's the only team that would have beaten Gonzaga. Plus, they had that game with UCLA that I think took a little bit out of them early on in the championship game, and Baylor rushed out to the big lead. I thought that team was better with Suggs at guard. I think their guards were a lot better last year. If you watch some of their games, this year they have trouble uh, stopping guard penetration get into the get into the basket Alabama especially uh, beat them off the dribble so they're not going to want to face many athletic backcourts because I think they could go down but listen still one of the top two or three teams in the country so I think it's much more likely they win it than Duke all right so you knew all along last year Baylor was really the best team um, if you know who the best team is this year do you want to whisper it <laughs> we won't tell anybody I promise it's, it's a lot it's a bit listen last year those two teams were supposed to yeah. meet in December and it got called off because of COVID they were on a collision course all year it was those two and everybody else this year I think there's six, seven, eight teams you can make an argument for. Kentucky, Arizona, Kansas, Tennessee. I mean, uh, there are a lot of teams this year. That's why I think it's going to be a crazy tournament. I, I think some by the end of the weekend, there's going to be one or two of these top seeds sitting home. 
Not number one. I'm saying one, two, three. A yeah. so, couple of them are going to be home. All right. Sounds like I'm going to have to fill out at least 64 brackets so I can be certain <laughs> I have the winner somewhere. <laughs> I don't. Although I don't think that's a plus EV strategy. In the end. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great stuff, Thomas. I uh, really appreciate your insights. Uh, our listeners can find you on Twitter at the Tom Casale. Uh, best of luck with all your bets and your brackets. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck. All right. Thanks, Thomas. You too. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll, where after a few promising weeks of chipping away, grinding our way out of the hole, <laughs> we undid it all with one total over week. Uh, and we were actually kind of lucky not to lose more than we did. Uh, as you'll recall, I wanted to bet Tyrese Maxey's over against the Nets points betting style, but they never did post a number. So I had to settle for a normal over bet on a line of 17 and a half points. And he scored a season low four points. So we actually saved some money losing $112 instead of a little over $200. Um, But that bet missed by a mile as did the Rangers holding the blues under three goals. Our man, Igor Shesterkin let us down and lost the bet in the first period before getting pulled in the second. Uh, And your guy, Golf bets, John, were similarly disastrous, although at least you have a good excuse with the crazy weather at the Players' Championship. Nevertheless, both Rose and Westwood missed the cut, although the bets weren't too large. We only lost $90 total on the two wagers. Meanwhile, our Oscars bets aren't looking too hot. One of my NBA futures is looking bad. It wasn't a great week, John. Uh, We lost $302, putting us down now by $2,933. We have $785 on hold and futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,282 available to bet this week. And I'm up first. And I'm going to start with two March Madness bets. Uh, The first one, straightforward. I know nothing about college hoops, as we've established, but Mm -hmm. I listened to a bunch of podcasts this week, and this came up multiple times that San Francisco versus Murray State is going to be a shootout, and the line of 136 points is too low. So I'm going to trust the experts and bet $110 to win 100 on over 136. Uh, That game tips off at 940 Eastern tonight. So uh, yeah, I'll find out how I did in the morning. Uh, And then my second bet, uh, this is a fun one. FanDuel has certain teams in the tournament paired up and you can pick one or the other to go further. One of those pairings was a couple of Texas teams, Texas Tech and Houston. They priced it as Texas Tech to go further, minus 125, Houston to go further, plus 190, and a draw, meaning eliminated in the same round, at a juicy plus 320. Now, Texas Tech is a three seed, unlikely to lose to Montana in the first round. They could fall in round two. Most likely they lose to Duke in round three or else Gonzaga in round four. Uh, Houston is a five seed, but from my understanding is very good for a five seed. So similar boat should beat UAB in round one would be 50, 50 ish against Illinois in round two underdog against Arizona in round three. I like that price plus three twenty. as long as they both get out of the first round it becomes perfectly realistic for them to both lose in the same round in either round two or round three could be a very fun sweat. Uh, but let's go small, uh, $50 to win one sixty. 
All right. Yeah, I don't think I'll live long enough for us to blow this whole damn bankroll, Eric. But, <laughs> but if I stick with my weight loss efforts this year, ironically, I could be jeopardizing that goal. Oh, so okay. Kind of a mixed bag uh, that works out. Um, I was a week early on Paul Casey, who got the wrong end of several breaks to come up just short against Cam Smith in the Players' Championship. So that does us no good at all. So anyway, uh, a slipping class this week with the Valspar in Palm Harbor, Florida. And with the winning streak over, I decided not to limit myself to KG veteran foreign players anymore because well boxing yourself in is a good way to lose money and already i skipped the thursday morning wave as it is on the florida tour so with my mind broadened yeah i wound up going with a couple of kg veteran foreigners anyway okay <laughs> so now give me 50 on uh 50 units on shane lowry at plus 350 to be the low english or irish player among a dozen candidates how's that for cats and dogs living together yeah mm. Another 50 on Martin Laird at plus 125 to be the low Scotsman. He just has to outplay KG foreign countryman Russell Knox to win that bet. Okay. Interesting. Uh, very uh, ethnicity specific <laughs> bets here. Uh. Yeah, they have a lot of those, you know, low, low South Korean, low this, low Australian. You know, that, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but I'll give it a shot. All right. And I feel like at least, you know, English, Irish, Scottish, that whole area, that's, that's yeah. your comfort zone. That's where your roots are. So we'll go with that. <laughs> All right. Um, For my next bet, it's a light boxing weekend with March Madness to compete against. uh, But there is an ESPN Plus show in the small room at Madison Square Garden on Saturday, headlined by undefeated Edgar Berlanga taking on Steve Rolls. Berlanga got a lot of attention and a lot of hype as he won his first 16 pro fights all by first round knockout. It was a really fun streak, exciting as hell. Clearly, the guy is a naturally heavy handed puncher. But then in his 17th fight, he was taken the eight round distance. And in his 18th fight, he barely won over the distance. And those first 16 fights really didn't prepare him well for the tougher opponents and situations to come. On Saturday, he takes on this veteran, Steve Rolls, who's not a great fighter, but he's competent, solid, has only lost once and is the kind of boxer that if Berlanga doesn't catch him with a big shot in the first couple of rounds, it should get interesting fast. Rolls is a plus 600 underdog at DraftKings, but he's all the way up at plus 900 at FanDuel. And that's just a little too high. Uh, you know, that's a fair price if Berlanga is as good as the hype suggests, but I'm confident that Berlanga isn't. Uh, so I think Rolls is a live dog here. Nine to one is a little too much. So let's bet $20 to win 180 on the upset win for Rolls. All right. And then I've got one. We're not going to lose until October. So that's uh, okay, it's a plus. I think. <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, 150 units of the Brewers to win the NL Central at minus 125. You know, the Reds are trying to out pirate the Pirates in ineptitude. And the Cubs seem kind of confused. Uh, okay. There's the Cardinals, but Mr. Reports on Jack Flaherty's arm are a little scary. And Brewers have gotten better in the offseason, including just obtaining a former MVP and just wonderful around guy, Andrew McCutcheon, as you know about. So I, I really like the Brewers there a lot. All right. And and it shows confidence that you at least believe in your health enough that you'll live long enough to see who wins the NL Central this year. (laughs) Exactly. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Thomas Casale. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
All right. So someone I know very well never made a sports bet until last year's March Madness when a promotional offer proved irresistible. And it was a $50 winning bet on the old Alamada paid off in the first round. And the bet the next round was bigger. I'm not sure if it was 100, 250, whatever, but uh, it didn't go well. That one lost. And mm. so I fast forward a year and I mentioned the tournament the other day. And the response I get was, oh, no, I deleted that app right away. <laughs> now, as someone who has no appetite for risking any significant amount of real money, I was a little startled at first. But then I realized how wise the decision was. You know, if you like to dabble in gambling, great. But if right from the start you feel an intensity you never expected and a willingness to risk more money than you really should, like walking away is the smartest thing you can do. For a certain group of people, the men's basketball tournament can wind up like, you know, March Madness. And if that's you, delete your apps and stick to your safer pastimes like skydiving or extreme rock climbing or whatever. But stay away from risking a serious dent in your bank account. So with that little bit of advice, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>